Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exists in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today I have someone that I think it's uh, is going to be able to share a lot of valuable information. So uh, Mr. O'Connor, Mr. Kevin O'Connor, welcome to the Dealmaker Show today. Uh, thanks, Alejandro. Good to be here. So the, uh, the chances of creating a billion-dollar company is something like 0.0005%. And the uh, You've not done it once, but you've been involved in several instances where the company has become a billion-dollar business. So why don't we do here um, a little walk through memory lane since you started back in in ICC, which is uh, this company that was acquired by Digital Communications Associates. So you went to become a CTO for them after the transaction. So how did this experience shape you before going at it as an entrepreneur? I mean, we, we had started ICC back in, in my final semester in college and, and really bootstrapped it. Um, I think we raised $25,000 to friends and family and, and grew it into about a $30 million company. Uh, then we went to DCA. So we were acquired. So I was on the acquisition side. Uh, and then that was a public company. And we ended up going private. And then we ended up merging that with our biggest competitor. So we, I, had a, I had a whole sort of a, a master's degree in, in, in education from M&A and, and fundraising and going, going, taking a public company to private. So it was, it was, it was pretty educational. That's fantastic. And then you went and, and became the um, initial investor of ISS. Is that right? Uh, I did. It was the, we had a common lawyer um, and he said, hey, I got this 20-year-old kid Dropped out of Georgia Tech, living with his grandmother. I don't know. He's doing something. Sounds interesting, but I'm a lawyer, so I don't understand it. Uh, maybe you talk to him. And, and Chris Klaus met Chris, and he had developed this product and on his own, and he had sold it to 10 large companies for about 10000 bucks each. And I was like, holy crap, this is a kid that's, you know, he's validated the market. Uh, this is going to be big. Wow. It was still in the was- early days of the, of the internet. It still wasn't, wasn't. You know, I was pretty certain the internet was going to be big, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't a given. Got it. Because we're talking about the '90s here. Yeah, that was like early '95. And the price of the transaction that ended up happening, like around 2006 for ISS, it was around 1.4 billion. Is that right? I think so. It was like one five to uh, to IBM. 
That's amazing. And so you were kind of like a part of, of somehow the strategy and, and the board, or what was your involvement with ISS? So the early days, I really worked on um, uh, uh, helping Chris develop his strategy and then really recruiting uh, the, the CEO and the VP of sales. So Tom Noonan, who I, I was an acquaintance with, I thought he'd be a good match. I mean, Tom was came from the sales side, you know, he's, he was, uh, uh, many years in management. So, uh, connected him with Chris and, and, and those guys really, really built the company and raised some venture money, um, down in Atlanta, uh, got some Silicon Valley companies interested and, and they really, really took off in there. So I, I continue to remain on the board uh, from the beginning to, to the end, sometimes giving good advice, sometimes giving bad advice. And, but those guys ended up, uh, uh, really doing well. Got it. Got it. No, absolutely. I mean, the the transaction is is just remarkable. So, so let's talk about DoubleClick now, which is a uh, probably your your first big big uh, company. So, DoubleClick, you met Dwight Merriman, uh, who was your co-founder. So, how did you guys meet? So, when ICC was acquired from DCA, I, 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 and ICC was in Cincinnati, um, and we had at. I was going to move down to Atlanta, which was the headquarters of DCA, and to start a research group. And I was asking around the company. We probably had about 100 engineers at the time. And I was kind of asking, like, who's the best engineer? Who's the best? And I actually thought it would be sort of one of the more seasoned, folk, seasoned folks. Um, and I kept hearing Dwight Merriman. We had just hired this kid. I didn't even – I met him once but didn't really know him. But everyone said, this kid is – this kid's great. You know, he's three months out of school, never seen anything like it. So Dwight came down and uh, joined me down down in Atlanta to do research. Um, our our first big product that we did it was it was a great product. This is one of my one of my uh, best products ever done. That was a complete and total failure. Um, it was basically Slack. Um, we had come up with uh, it was back. You remember Lotus Notes? We wanted a collaboration product that would capture organizational knowledge, uh, and we came up with this. It was uh, one of the first SaaS based products. It was web based. Uh, built it out. Uh, it, was a, it was a great product. Put it into corporations, and it destroyed productivity. So it did the opposite of what we thought it would do. Um, so that, that's kind of a good example of wrong timing. Uh, great product, wrong timing. Slack obviously has gone on to, to, to crush it. Yeah. Um, Got it. But Dwight was, and then Dwight left. I we I was we were both there for about three years, um, and both left, especially after the new the new owner. The new CEO, the majority owner, uh, basically told me he didn't believe in R&D, didn't believe in new products. So uh, that made the exit easy. Um, and Dwight and I spent the summer um, coming up with ideas, trying to figure out what to do. So how, how did the idea of uh, DoubleClick come about? What was the incubation process? So I, I've been working on this process and it's continued to work on it. In fact, we just turned it into a product or we're going we're gonna to launch it. Uh, it's a sort of forced innovation product. Uh, the name of the site's teamstormit.com. Um, but it's a, it's a way to force innovation. It's a way of sort of looking at, you know, what are the emerging technologies? Uh, and, you know, the basic belief is that emerging technologies cause a, cause a disjoint in the market. It's easiest, easiest time to sort of, sort of, you know, become a dominant player in a new market. Um, and then apply that to, to you know, industry problems. Uh, in our case, it was, you know, most of the internet, but it was also other stuff. And really the, the problem was, how, do, how are people going to make money? Um, and so, you know, we, you know, we brainstormed, I think we came up with a hundred different solutions, uh, narrowed it down to sort of five big ones and, and really focused our attention on that. Uh, the original idea was actually to do a more of a, 
a subscription package for websites. Um, you know, that was my original idea. Let's do a subscription package like ESPN. Uh, we started researching it and, and Dwight said, you know, why don't we, you know, advertising seems so much bigger than subscription. And, and that was kind of the sort of the pivot. Um, and it was like, yep, you're right. Got it. And, and this was in Atlanta. So at what point did you guys say, okay, it's time to make the move to New York? So we had merged with four people in Atlanta and then we, we had, we had merged with a company. Actually, it wasn't a company. It was a small group for four salespeople, um, and they were called DoubleClick. And they were a split between New York and San Francisco. And, and Dwight and I really thought, you know, look, most of we already know technology. We don't need to be in Silicon Valley. Uh, we're both engineers. What we don't know really um, is we don't know publishing and, and advertising. And in, and New York is is the headquarters of both of them. So we felt like it would be a better move to, to move to, to New York. And we did that early 96. Got it. So, so what were the initial days of the, of the business? Like what, what were those days? I mean, how, how was the company financed over the course of time really during those days? So Dwight and I both put money in, into the company. And then when we did the, we did the mega merger of four people and four people. Um, the, the company is called BJK and E. It was a big, agency holding company, uh, invested, I believe something like $500,000. Um, and they had an existing, the, the four salespeople were actually selling, they were selling advertising for Netscape excite. Uh, so they had a pretty decent, um, ad sales business. Uh, and then they also, they gave us free office space. Uh, they actually gave us a, uh, they did all of our accounting for us and it turned out that we could buy anything we wanted. There was no limit. So we, we abused that and it turned into, turned into like a $5 million, uh, we had to pay that back eventually, but that was, that was really, um, that little flaw in their, their system really helped us finance it. Got it. And at what point uh, did you realize, uh, Kevin, wow, we're here on a, on a rocket ship. This is really taking off. Yeah, it was probably late 96. I mean, that's really when, when the internet early 97, that's when just sort of the mega dough started flowing in from, uh, venture capital companies start going public. Uh, so there's just a lot of money. I mean, people needed to buy advertising. Uh, most media companies had decided they had to do something on it. You know, they had to, they had to have a presence on the internet. Uh, so it's yeah. probably late 96, 97. I remember a salesperson coming in. We had just hired a guy that, uh, Greg Kerner and he sold magazine advertising and he came into my office. He, he had this shocked look in his face. I said, what's wrong, Greg? And he's like, he's like, somebody called me to buy advertising. It's like, that's never happened. <laughs> so people were, it was, it was such an odd, odd moment in history. Yeah. Yeah. And, and without a doubt, I mean, the, um, you know, you guys grew the business to, um, and there's, there's not such thing as a, as a straight line in business. And, and one of the things that, that I've seen in, in, in your guys's journey is that, you grew this to over 2,000 employees, and then all of a sudden, you needed to slash the employee count by half. You know? and, and at that point, the company, yes, it became very profitable, but, but those are difficult times. And, and just, just wondering, how did you deal with this type of times yourself as a founder? Um, you know, it's funny. It's not that funny. The, um, uh, I had just left as CEO, so Kevin Ryan took over, so I... I I was remained chairman, but Kevin Ryan took over. It was right before the dot-com crash. So it was brilliant timing on my part in, in, in the sense that, you know, I got to ride the rocket ship up. Um, 
and then Kevin Ryan really had to deal with 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 really the ugly, ugly, ugly uh, part of the business. And quite honestly, I was he, he was way, way better at me than than uh, at dealing with that than I ever would have been. You know, it was tough. Uh, you, you know, it was a little bit. It, you know, that whole industry was imploding at that point. So people understood. Uh, thank God we were well financed. I mean, Jeff Epstein uh, was brilliant. I mean, I used to ask, ask Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, why are we raising money? Uh, we had actually raised one of the last sort of big, uh, big secondary, I mean, uh, primary offerings um, out of Wall Street. I think it was at the sort of beginning March of 2000, we raised something like $400 million. I said, Jeff, we don't need it. He's like, Kevin, when there's no such thing as too much money. When people are giving you money, you, you got to take it. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that money really helped us uh, see it through. Um, unfortunately, we had to cut because we just didn't know how bad it was going to be. I mean, I think the biggest mistakes that companies made, and I, I think Kevin and Ryan did a brilliant job here, was that, you know, when, when that bad things happen, people want to believe it's not that bad. Um, so it's better to sort of overcorrect than to undercorrect. And we saw a lot of companies do that. They sort of made a minor adjustment, then another minor, you know, just become an endless cycle of, of, of cutting. And that destroys a company. Um, but, you know, the, on the flip side, a lot of those people went off to do uh, join, join uh, little companies like Facebook and, and, uh, and, and Yahoo and, and, and Google. They, they all did, most of them did very, very well or start their own thing. Got it. And I mean, you know, you, the, the, the company, the outcome ended up being obviously positive. So, and, and you've seen this, you know, companies going up and down. So I guess many times, you know, from the operator perspective, from your experience, when this type of situations happen and you need to take difficult decisions, how are you, um, how do you minimize the impact on the culture? A lot of it is communication is transparency. I mean, we were always very, you know, made it very clear, you know, we're in business to stay in business. That is our you know, ultimate goal. We got to, we have to drive to profitability. We, we, and, and if we have a business that doesn't support, you know, this number of people, we, we have to make changes. So I think it's through communications. I mean, I don't think anybody, I haven't heard in years, anyone come back and say, you know, that was, that was horrible. You know, what you did, you, you do it with compassion, you do it with kindness and, and you do it, do it with, um, um, you know, information. You tell them why you're doing it. You know, probably the biggest question was, hey, you know, we have $400 million. Why, why don't we just spend that? And it really is like, look, we, we got to right size the business. It's just, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not an efficient use of capital. Like people should, should go to companies where, where they're needed um, and their skills. I mean, thank God, you know, people, people who came out of double click, it was like coming out of, you know, Harvard or something. I mean, it was a, it was a well-known, it was, it, people had a lot of success with, with sort of graduates from double click. Um, and so, you know, people had a pretty easy, easy time getting, getting a new job. Yeah. And in many instances, just say as a follow-up to this type of timing in the market, in many instances, crashes really helped to resurface the, the best companies. You know? So you made it through with, with double click and, and you guys did the full cycle on this. So what did the dot-com bust experience teach you? Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm always just. I'm a skeptical technologist, um, and I was older. I was 30, 34 uh, at the time, which, you know, for in the Internet days, that was pretty old. Um, you know, so I was a little bit less, you know, this whole new economy stuff I always thought was kind of kind of crap. I didn't think. I knew it was. There is no new economy. It was really about, you know, efficiencies. I mean, there's, these are all old economic principles. 
Um, you know, giving away stuff for free, you know, forever, you know, doesn't make any sense. You know, the stock that I think the thing that really fooled people and it fooled us too, is that you, you, people tend to look at relative valuations. You know, one time I think we were worth, uh, I think 12 to $15 billion, right? Now that was an absurd number for, for how big we were. Um, but we tended to look at it like, here's a, you know, kind of a crappy competitor of ours that's worth 20 billion. And so you start doing relative valuations. Um, and as one of our board members said, you know, Kevin, it's like it's like trading two two $5,000 cats for a $10,000 dog. You know, it's just it, it's just you can't fool yourself in relative valuations. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of sold up and down like I I just didn't, you know, I don't know. You know, I just always remember the bears and bulls make money and pigs get slaughtered. So. And at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of people got slaughtered. A lot of people, you, know, you I don't know if you're around during those time time period, but uh, you know people were, you know, margining their stock to buy more of their stock, um, or you know, yeah. borrowing six billion dollars to fund their business. And uh, yeah, I remember on a on a talk you were mentioning that you knew someone that literally had a net worth of eight hundred and fifty million, and that went to zero. Yeah. 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 Because we, we believed in a lot, a lot of people outside the dot com industry thought it was you know maybe a big Ponzi scheme. It wasn't. We were we were drinking. We were making the Kool Aid and drinking it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people that that are talking now about a correction and you know how capital is going to become more expensive. What what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. It's like uh, I'm, or how how would you suggest like for the let's say for the entrepreneurs that are listening, like how could they prepare their best to really tackle those, those, those tough moments? Well, you think I always tell, tell entrepreneurs, number one is, you know, raise money when you don't need it and, and make sure you don't run out of money because it, it's, it's, you know, dark, dark times always come. I haven't been in a business yet where it hasn't faced a, a significant challenge or some, a period of time where the market freezes. Yeah. Um, and you got to be able to ride it through. Yeah. Absolutely. The other so one is like, don't don't raise too much money at too high valuations. I mean, people, I think they end up they end up make it very difficult to get an outcome. They can have a they can build a very successful company and end up with sort of nothing. Yeah, I mean, I I'm very much aligned with with you on the on the fact that you raise you know when you don't need money and and I when I speak with founders, I always share the the mentality of just raising opportunistically and and if you're offered the money, just take it because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So um, and, nobody, and nobody does. Yeah. So I guess going back to DoubleClick, um, Kevin. So when DoubleClick got acquired, it it had a lot of cash. Um, so so I've heard you say that there is this thing that happens that when you have a lot of cash, it can become a problem. Why is that? I, I mean, too much cash is just you, you become unleveraged. You know, you sort of you're deleveraged. Um, so it's difficult to make the stock go up and down. And when you have people that that have a lot of options. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big damper, damper effect. Yeah. Got it. And you've, you've, you've obviously, uh, you know, been in, in, in several transactions. So uh, when, when the transaction actually was, you know, uh, going to happen, you know, what, what do you remember? Like, what were those triggers that, you know, was like, okay, you know, now it's time to, to take a look at this seriously. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was, it was really, uh, a few factors. One is that the it, it, 
the dot com had sort of disappeared. I mean, as, as Kevin Ryan said, you know, it was seventy percent of our customers we lost uh, through bankruptcy. They they went away. I I'd remember seventy five percent, but it was like uh, it was a lot. Most of our yeah. customers, uh, advertising was uh, internet advertising had fallen out of favor. Uh, companies were really struggling. We really didn't know how long it would go. We had we had acquired uh, uh, a few businesses that didn't really make sense anymore. Like we really needed to split the businesses up, and we we needed to. Um, get out of a couple of businesses and that's tough to do in a public market and there was management risk and everything else. So we decided to, uh, to sell the company. I get the award for, I'm still waiting for a gift from Hellman Friedman. Uh, I think, I think that was one of the biggest PE deals ever done, most successful PE deals ever done. So nice. um, that's what an MBA, well, sorry, not on our side, it was on their side that they, yeah. they crushed it. They, they crushed it. Uh, well, they, they tripled, no? Yeah, I mean, they broke the company apart, and then they sold it to um, or the big part, of course, to, to Google. Um, Google didn't, you know, it was interesting. Was Google was at the auction, the original, um, or was selling the company, but decided they passed. They, I guess they decided they'd rather pay three times the price, you know, a couple of years. <laughs> no, actually, I heard the inside story. It was it was more they, they really viewed us. I mean, this is a little bit of Silicon Valley mentality. Um is they don't believe that technology can built, be built outside. Sorry, I'm making a gross generalization. That many people don't think that technology can be built outside Silicon Valley. That's total crap. Um, and they kind of saw, from what I've heard, saw us more of a you know sales organization rather than technology organization. And and when they looked at it again, it was like, uh, this is this is tech, yeah. our tech. Got it. And for how much uh, did this PE firm uh, acquire you guys? I think it was for a billion and a half, somewhere around there, 1.3 to 1.5. I mean, that's, I'm not sure. It's, it's obviously not 3.1 like uh, Google paid, but definitely a really, a really good success. So, so how did you celebrate? Do you remember celebrating that? When so I was no longer part of the company, so that was a little bit, yeah, anticlimactic. I mean, it was like great. You know, I'm glad they found found a home. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure I celebrated, okay, but it was it. it was good. Like I'm really, I'm really thrilled that that product continues to, uh, to, uh, through today. So talking about your next chapter. So after the, the experience of double click, you go out to launch, find the best and find the best ends up rebranding into, into graphics. So can you tell us a little bit more about this experience? Yeah. So, so I first, before graphic, I first came out to Santa Barbara and, and started doing venture capital again and, 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 um, uh, invested early on in a company, uh, Procore, um, I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with Procore, but Procore is, they're crushing it. It's a SaaS company uh, for the construction industry. I think they have something like 30% of the construction going on in the United States is, is running through Procore now. Um, but when I first found found uh, TUI, uh, you know, my I, I had this general thesis that every industry, uh, every vertical was, was going to become a technology company. Uh, and looked at construction when he, when he first came to me, the construction company, construction industry was massive, but didn't spend any money in it. They were doing all this stuff, you know, old school. Uh, so I thought that was pretty good way too early. It took, it took years for, for that company that sort of hit an inflection point and really take off graphic. We started find the best was, uh, started around 2009. And that was really just so, you know, Kayak had a huge impact on me. Kayak was a brilliant company. And I was like, you know, all of vertical search is the, is the same. Like search is great 
for, you know, broad base finding information. But when you really want to make a decision like travel uh, or buying a car or going to school, uh, that's, that's a more nuanced, faceted vertical search. And, and my feeling was that it's all the same. And we could do this for a hundred things. We could do it for, you know, picking a dog, picking a medical school, picking a smartphone. Uh, what's the, you know, what's the best ski resort. So um, I reluctantly went back into starting another company and did that for nine years. And that company was an interesting one because we built great technology, but in the, uh, it was all sorts of issues. You can't, it's very difficult to build a media company when Google controls all traffic. Um, you're kind of at the whim of Google. And that was kind of the ultimate problem with, with our original business model. Got it. And and just out of curiosity, Graphic goes from 65,000 to almost 7 million in literally two years in revenue. What happened? Well, there we, so that was before Graphic, I was sort of find the best before we uh, started going into other businesses. I mean, advertising is, was great. I mean, you, you, uh, uh, vertical search, you know, when someone is, comparing cars, they're looking for a car. It's, it's the best advertising spot possible. So I never had any doubt that we could, we could sell advertising. Um, and it was very easy. Um, but it's all traffic related, which Google controls. Yeah. So we eventually, I mean, really the core asset that we had was a technology asset, um, that ended up being more valuable. You know, there was this whole movement, of natural language processing and natural language generation, you know, with, you know, Siri or, or Google now or, or Alexa. And, you know, we were sort of, we were, our technology, we had taken a very radical approach to amassing the world's information and building a semantic knowledge graph and all these fancy words. But in, in any case, it was our ability to understand the human language and produce, you know, answers based on, you know, these billions of facts that we had was, was was probably the best in the industry and so we ended up selling out to uh to amazon i saw that and you know in the process you also raised money from really the top tier vcs i mean obviously now you know and you probably can tell me this but once you've been successful in the past people you know start throwing money at you and when you literally you know start uh, other companies you had like kleiner perkins and and others so did you find it easier raising money this time around actually i found it harder Oh, really? Why yeah. is that? Probably two reasons. Um, one is so many VCs have been burned by the SEO, you know, reliance on Google. And they, they've all had sort of 10 burns in that area and they just they didn't want it, didn't want to have it. So I, I completely under underappreciated that that uh, that issue. And the other one, there's probably a little bit of Santa Barbara. When you live in Santa Barbara, you're you know, you yeah, but it was it was primarily the first one. Got it. They people prefer SaaS companies to subscription, and you know we didn't have that. Got it. And I mean, you you've been around the block a few times, and and you created you know really big success stories. So on these companies that end up becoming billion dollar success stories, what do you typically find that is the hardest thing to scale? So you know, like my first company was when PCs were first emerging. Uh, the growth of that company and the growth of DoubleClick you know, we're really predicated on, on, on being at the right industry that was going through explosive growth. So if you kind of look at it, uh, you know, to build a billion dollar company, you, you've got to be someplace where, where it's, it's experienced explosive growth, right? So you have to have a really great product, but you have to be able to figure out where that's going to take off. 
What was the second part of your question? Sorry. Yeah. So, so what, what, what is the hardest thing that, that you've seen in, 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 in scaling really this type of, of companies? What's the hardest thing that you find? I mean, you kind of go through a, a, a few different, different stages. You know, the first one is sort of after 10, you know, when you're, when you're 10 people, everyone's involved in every decision. It's very clubby. It's very chummy, you know, everyone and, and people very much like that, right? They join a startup so they can see, you know, how all the sausage is made and, and participate. And that's great. But you know, as you start growing, you start scaling, you know, you're going to a hundred people, you know, you, you have some level of specialization, you know, you got to like trust that your engineer is going to build a great product and your marketing person and sales people are going to build great teams. And a lot of people fall off from there. Right? A lot of people, you know, 25% of people are going to just get knocked out. And then when you get to a thousand people, you're really talking about professionalization and, and putting in processes and, you know, making everything, you know, reproducible, um, predictably re reproducible. And that's just a whole nother, another um, um, set of a set of uh, uh, skills. I've seen lots of people that have been able to sort of bridge all that, but it's, it's probably more the exception than the rule. Um, and that can be, that can be tough, but just, you know, for, CEOs to, to really recognize that. I mean, I always tell, for example, founders, um, I told a group of a Kleiner, uh, a group of founders, I said, first of all, get rid of the word founder off your, off your business card. Who, who cares? You stumbled upon an idea. Um, it doesn't make you King or, or, or queen or Prince, um, doesn't make you CEO. You know, you gotta, you gotta earn it every single day. So it's, it's kind of getting rid of that entitlement, getting rid of that that view of, of that, you know, you may not be the best person, and which is why I, you know, I voluntarily stepped down as CEO double click. I, I thought Kevin Ryan was, a, I was a reluctant CEO. Kevin Ryan would be a better CEO. And I, and I love that, uh, Kevin, because the, um, what you're saying here, because at the end of the day, when, when you become the, the CEO, it's not people working for you, it's you working for them. And I think that a lot of people make the mistake where they leave corporate, for example, now they have like this founder and CEO role and they just think that they're like the king of, of the castle. Yes. And, and I love the ones that, I mean, look, look, some guys, some, some folks do make this successful transition. I mean, Tui, Tui at, at Procore, he started it and he's a great CEO, super authentic, never lost his authenticity. Um, you know, he's, he's the same guy. Uh, Others aren't, aren't, aren't so much, um, yeah. but they're going to be comfortable. You know, Chris, Chris Klaus, for example, you know, he's, he stepped into a CTO role, you know, and that was great. Dwight, Dwight became CEO of Mongo and he probably, you know, I mean, Dwight's one of the most brilliant sort of, sort of engineers out there. Um, I remember when he wanted to move up to management, I said, that'd be the, that'd be humanity's greatest tragedy, <laughs> losing one of the world's greatest engineers and, and, and turning him into a mediocre manager. You know. Right, right, right. And so, so now, you know, I've seen that uh, you've been involved with, with boards, you know, I'm sure that the, the strategic perspective that you can bring, you know, it's, it's a privilege probably for the companies that you work with. And then the, um, you've been investing, you've been quite active, no, you have your own venture fund. Is that right? Yeah. So I restarted, uh, back in September. So it's called SCOP, SCOP, S-C-O-P, Venture Capital, uh, really looking for SaaS-based companies, Primarily SaaS-based companies, people with you know 500 to a million dollars ARR, who have, you know kind of they've already proven the market validation, but they're really trying to figure out. They still have a long way to go. Still trying to figure out how to how to scale it as, as an organization. And I've seen that's probably where my sweet spot is, as well as it, it de-risks an organization quite a bit. Um, yeah. 
I have not had much luck and, you know, ideas I always say are very cheap and not very valuable. <laughs> Founders tend to think the idea is the most valuable part and it's not. Yeah. And just, just, just to that point, uh, Kevin, really quickly, um, I, I heard you speak and you were talking about, um, I think it was at, a, at an event and, and you were talking about some of the ideas that were done that, you know, th you decided to pass on. So I was just wondering, like, any examples of those ideas that you were like, this is completely stupid and that ended up becoming something? Well, I mean, my, my biggest sort of anti-portfolio flub of all time was Twilio. Um, and I knew Jeff Lawson. I knew him well. I invested in his first company and, and we had done a company together. And then he came and pitched, you know, the seed round for to us. And and I was like, um, you know, what, what are you talking about? Phones? You know, that's old. You know, like, that's my generation. It's, it's all the web. Where have you been? So that was a that was a big miss. Uh, Mind body was another one. Well, I mean, you, you can't win them all. Right. So it's a it is what it is. And one of the things that I've seen, Kevin, is that you share with founders the the recommendation of always thinking of ways to destroy their own business. Why is this? Well, I mean, someone's or someone's someone's someone else is a thousand other people looking to destroy your own business. So you got to be constantly looking for, you know, look, I think everything you do in business is a hypothesis. Like there is no truth. If you, if you knew the truth um, and the truth is always changing over time as markets evolve. So you've got to be hunting for it. You got to always go in and, and say, look, I, this is a hypothesis and I, I have to disprove it um, uh, in order to, 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 to make it closer to truth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you've been, you've been obviously surrounded by, by very qualified individuals. You know, the, the, I think probably we may both agree that team is, is really a big, a big factor in the success of a, of a business. So some companies have found these, these individuals and, and what did the recruiting process look like? You know, I was always, this, not to get political, but I was always like, I was always a huge Ronald Reagan fan um, in the sense that he, he was always able to recruit. He, he knew he wasn't like the smartest guy on the planet, uh, but he was always able to recruit these really, really smart people. And he was, you know, a very charismatic uh, human and he knew what his, what he was good at and we knew what he wasn't good at. And so I, I always kind of envisioned sort of a great leader as that. I mean, my specialty is, you know, probably visionary, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm very passionate and very, uh, you know, some level of charisma, uh, charisma, but, you know, very passionate about technology um, and to really find people that, you know, we used to call them um, uh, always looking for smart athletes, uh, looking for people with high IQs, people who are very competitive uh, and the people that, you know, that, that want to achieve greatness, um, people who believe that they, they can. And, you know, I always say, you know, you can't, you can't teach, teach IQ, you can't teach smartness uh, and competitiveness is just something that, you know, a lot of, you know, I've met a lot of smart people that aren't very competitive, um, but you, you bring those two together and it's, it's great. Uh, never, never really focus on hiring and on, on skills. I think, I think skills are way overrated. You know, I think, look, if you're going to hire a CFO, it helps if they're, you know, CPA or, you know, accounting background. But I, I think people tend to hire way too much based on skills and skills are worth skills are, I mean, think about the skills you learned in, in high school and the ones you learn in college and the ones you use today. I mean, it's, it's your ability to, it's the ability, I invert everything. It's really your ability to solve a problem and you learn skills that are necessary to solve a problem, not yeah. the other way around. Otherwise you trap yourself into, you know, like my, my skill is, you know, used to be, you know, internet advertising. It's, it's not who I am. It's not, it's, it's not, 
you know, I'm done with that. You know, I'm not done with the skill, but I've moved on to other, other things that are interesting. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I've heard you say is that people should not follow their passion, but should follow their talent. What do you mean with this? <laughs> so I actually said, I said it the other way around or the other way, but what, 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 well, no, I originally said it the other way around, which was, uh, I was at a Michigan engineering commencement. I was like, you know, you know, forget about your degree, you know, follow your passion. And it was just wrong. Um, I, it, it so happened. I, I, I am passionate about what I'm also talented at. Um, uh, I, I think following something that where you're, that you're really talented at, uh, you'll eventually become passionate. You know, there's probably, now I always ask people, you know, what's your, what is the, what's your talent that you're 5% in the, in the world? And as I kind of look back at my own, my own life, you know, I was really passionate about wrestling. I, I was never going to be good. It, sorry. I was good. I was never going to become great. Like there was nothing I could do to ever become uh, you know, world-class. So you have to look at, you know, what am I, what are you really talented at? And, and, and that develops sort of into a passion. I was very fortunate. I love technology. I love inventing. I happen to be good at it. Um, and so, you know, I was fortunate. I conflated the two. That's amazing. So you've seen definitely a lot in your career, Kevin, and many of your former colleagues have gone out to, to build multi-billion dollar companies. And, you know, also people that perhaps you've in, you invested in or, or people that you passed on, like, like we were discussing earlier, but what in your mind really takes, what does it take really to become a successful entrepreneur? What are those traits that you've seen or those patterns? So I did, I did research on this and I, I presented to entrepreneurial um, uh, program uh, classes. And there's been sort of one okay study done on it. And then, you know, I picked the ones that sort of reaffirmed what I thought thought was the case. I mean, a lot of it is to, has to do with um, uh, uh, sort of a, uh, an urgency. You know, it's, it's not, I'm going to, I'm not going to put it off you know, till tomorrow, it's, it's a really just sense of it, sense of urgency. Uh, the other one is just, uh, you know, this, this ability to, you know, to be skeptical, you should, you should be skeptical, especially about technology, even though I love technology, I'm skeptical of it, but it's really focusing on, on what problem am I solving? Um, I need to pull up that, pull up that sheet. And, and, and another one is, you know, sort of willing to break the rules, uh, willing to, to not look at the status quo and, and to, uh, to do, to do stuff. That's a little bit, you know, proceed to be a little bit crazy. Got it. And, and, and in the process of, of building all these companies, you know, now today, like how have your views on leadership, how, how have they changed? I've mellowed out a lot. Um, I used to be probably way, way more aggressive. Uh, <laughs> Got it. You know, I used I used to co coach. Uh, I, I always say my MBA was when I coached wrestling. Um, you know, my view of leadership is to is to is to is to paint a picture, a big broad picture for that where we're heading. Uh, it's to focus the company uh, and build a consensus. That's one of the things I'm, I'm the SaaS product I'm putting together for Team Stormit to really you know there's a hundred things you can do as a company. There's three things, three things you must do. Um, and to really, you know, too many startups go out. It's the curse of the entrepreneur. They, they go after too many things. They spread themselves too thin. It's really, what are those three things? Every, every business, you know, Google won the search business because of one thing, page rank. 
Um, yeah, there's lots of things that came after that, but, but without that secret sauce, um, you know, that was it. So really, you know, painting the big picture, figuring out what we need to focus on, uh, and building a consensus that this is our, you know, a shared vision, not, not my vision. It's, it's a, you know, a shared vision. Um, and then just getting people to believe, you know, the the first step is I always tell people, look, someone's going to dominate this market. Why can't it be us? You know, someone's going to be president of the United States. Why can't it be you? You know, someone's going to win the world, the world, uh, uh, the Olympic medal. Why can't it be you? Now there could be reasons. Like there was a reason I wasn't going to win a gold medal in in in, uh, in wrestling, but you know, there's in many cases it's like, huh? Why isn't it me? Why can't we build a billion dollar company? We can. It's a subtle sort of you know. It's and, and it's for me my my leadership style is hopefully more inspirational. Uh, than than anything else. Got it. And so I guess uh, you know you've been you've been building and scaling companies for and in the venture space for quite some time. You know, like at least I mean I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for some time. So the question that I wanted to ask you here, Kevin, is if you had to go back to the to the early days when you were starting in the in the venture space and and just talk to your younger self. Uh, before building that first business, what would be that piece of advice that you would give your younger self? <laughs> I, I get asked this. I hate looking. I hate looking in the rearview mirror because that's there's there. You can't change it. It's all hypothetical. So I tend to I tend to really not look through that. So, but I do give people you know people advice and 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 the advice. Well, I say, so to put it differently, right? So I I, I have let's say three children now. Uh, if you were in my shoes and one of my children was about to launch their own business, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them that you've learned? For starting your own business, uh, you better make sure there's probably two pieces of advice. You better make sure it solves a problem and you better find that out. You better find, find it out cheaply. Um, you know, forget about cool technology. Uh, and it should be a big problem. Like our first company, uh, we dominated the market, crushed it, ninety-five percent market share. Small market. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go after, you know, if you're gonna spend your time on something, go after something that's really, really big. But I, the the reason the number, the number one reason you know, businesses fail, entrepreneurship, is they they're they're their solution is not a solution. It's either doesn't actually solve a real problem that anyone has any perceived value. Everything is about creating value. You either save people time, you make them more money, you make them more efficient, whatever it is, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be creating value. Um, and it can't just be incremental value. It can't be, you know, I'm 10% better. I see a lot of people that introduce products that are product features of Google or Microsoft, like, you know, you're going to get destroyed. Um, so it's gotta be some unique defensible problem that you're solving and you gotta have a team, a team that can pull it off. For sure. For sure. Well, I, I very much uh, love those uh, pieces of advice there, Kevin. So what is the best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi? Uh, so you can go to uh, scopvc.com. Um, if you're SaaS company looking for money, that's great. Uh, Kevin at scopvc.com. Uh, and check out, we're still sort of, we're still in alpha. This is a very cool product. I don't even, I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with it. It's a it's, it's, uh, it's it's to help the innovation. It's teamstormit.com. Um, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's a 35, the number you're looking for is 35 years I've been involved with this. It's 35 years I've been working on how do you force innovation. Um, 
And you can, you absolutely can force innovation. It's not a mystery. Um, I've done it. I've invented products with second graders. Uh, and if you can't do it, then, you know, it's your own damn fault. But this is a sort of a good, good system for doing it. And you know, it. try to introduce it to organizations. Uh, organizations, I find it, they're just not that, not that innovative. Um, I love it. And there's a ton of those. There's a ton of those. But uh, Kevin, I don't want to take more of your time. You have been very generous. Thank you so, so much. It has been an honor to have you on the show today. Thanks, Alejandro. It's been great. Appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time with me. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.